This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today on the show, we're going to take a look at the times when nature gets a little too close for comfort. We'll welcome the critter catcher, Mike McDowell, back to the program to talk about the management and removal of nuisance animals. From the big to the small, a nuisance critter can cause real problems, so today we'll talk about tips to keep your home critter-free. Dr. Major is always here, ready for your pet questions, and Libby likes to hear about your recent wildlife encounters. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. And a reminder, if you happen to miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. We're going to start off. We have a caller on the line, and it's our friend John Davis. So why don't we start the show with a phone call? Uh, John, good morning. What do you have for us today? I've got a an hilarious and profound book on just exactly what the, the important topic is today. It's by a, a woman named Mary Roach. And if you're familiar with her writing, you'll know it's funny. And it's informative. It's called When Nature Breaks the Law. Buzz, When Nature Breaks the Law. And it has to do with the often hilarious, always profound, sometimes head-scratching issues of what happens when uh, living things, wild things, actually do seem to break some kind of law and cause trouble. Uh, There are so many interesting historical uh, examples, one going back to Italy in the 17th century, where judges sat around pondering whether moths could be held legally responsible for the havoc their caterpillars did. <laughs> but there's also, also the case of a murderer who uh, faked uh, attacks by uh, by big cats like cougars on human beings and got away for it for a while in, in California. And cases that are really strange and touching. For example, when overwintering seagulls took to poaching the doves of peace released by Pope Francis in sacred ceremonies. Uh, Francis, of course, uh, was the, is the name he took for the great saint that loved all nature. So what could they do to the offending goals? So here's an image. Picture mechanical peregrine falcons hovering above the Vatican. Scare away the seagull. Uh, <laughs> it's a lovely book that I recommend it. All right, John, thanks for the call again. The book that John's recommending, When Nature Breaks the Law. So we'll see if we can check that out. John, always good to hear from you. Thanks for your phone call this morning. So, Libby, uh, we always like to start with you telling us what you're seeing in your yard lately. Okay, we did have excitement this morning, and I managed to personally miss most of it. But (laughs) uh, we're on the porch for breakfast, coffee and breakfast, and... uh, I'd gotten in the hummingbird feeder, had six hummingbirds, and there were 
uh, a good variety of things on the feeders, and I went inside and came back in a couple of minutes, and Paul was, oh, no, you missed all the excitement. A Cooper's Hawk came zooming through and grabbed what we think may have been a house finch and left, and everybody, you know, all the feeders just... It were completely empty. All the birds left, even the hummingbirds. Hmm. I've never thought about one. Maybe that would have been a little dessert, I guess, but I don't know. So <laughs> it was just deathly quiet. And, you know, sometimes when something like that happens or when a hawk circles, especially, there'll be all kinds of warning chatter and right. a lot of noise, mm-hmm. which I would have expected after this, but no, it was like mm, nothing has to be said. <laughs> Everybody seemed to know what had happened, and so it was a, a few moments of silence for the, the missing bird. But <laughs> so I thought that was pretty interesting, and um, I can't feel too bad about it because I just feel certain that that Cooper's hawk had a, a nest full of uh, babies somewhere, Probably. and needed a good meal for them. And the other fun thing, and I checked on both of them this morning, we have two Perula warbler nests. And they're not much bigger than a hummingbird, uh, coolest little things, and they love to nest in Spanish moss. And we've got lots of Spanish moss, so two different sites. And this time they happen to be nests in areas that I can kind of get a, a peek into it. So they both got three eggs right now and tiny little eggs about the size of my pinky finger fingernail. And I'm hoping they'll be successful and hope that I get to see some babies fledge. But the uh, the daddy birds are doing a lot of, they've got a real distinctive call. So I've been hearing them in the mornings and you know, knowing where they were, we, we found the nests uh, I guess maybe a week and a half ago or something. So that was fun. And then the other thing, we spent uh, the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, at Waldoxy State Park, uh, taking people on synchronous firefly tours in the woods. And it was really cool. Over 400 people showed up. Some of them had heard about it from the radio show. And uh, it was really fun. it was different for me because I'm used to being able to sit down and relax and watch my hummingbirds a little bit. And <laughs> I worked pretty hard one night. Um, I, I got uh, over thir- almost 14,000 steps. So I figured, okay, wow. I, yeah. I yeah. earned my, uh, my volunteer <laughs> badge. <laughs> but it was really fun. And if you have not seen synchronous fireflies and you want to, Two of the best ways to see them, Tishomingo State Park, uh, they've got a lot right now, and they're still displaying at Wild Oxy, and they have those wonderful um, CCC, all 1930s cabins that you can rent, and the the staff at the parks will be able to tell you where you can go to see the fireflies at night. And uh, just the, the one mistake you should not make is bringing very much of a flashlight with you or turning on your cell phone that destroys your night vision, and then you're not going to see nearly as many. It's hard for people to understand, but if you really just go through that little bit of time where you're in almost total darkness, it feels like to Absolutely. you, then your eyes get used to it, and you can you can really 
start seeing a lot, and you'll see a lot of the fireflies. Uh, mostly the synchronous fireflies, frontalis, what we call snappy sinks, mm-hmm. and those put on the biggest display. And then we also saw the rare cypress fireflies up in the cypress trees. They're really cool. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. As usual, Dr. Troy Major joining us from his clinic in Jackson. Dr. Major, got a couple of pet emails here for you. Uh, This first one says, good morning. A little puppy found us about three weeks ago. She looked to be in pretty good condition. I'm feeding her science diet puppy food according to packaging directions. She's a small mix with a really good sniffer. Every time I feed her, she gobbles her food down so quickly, she's actually gulping and coughing. I've started giving her very small amounts and making her sit in between. I'd have thought now she would have uh, known how to get fed. Uh, We're feeding her four times a day. I'd like to eventually leave food out for her, but I'm afraid she would bloat if I gave her free reign. Any suggestions? Gosh, that is a a good question. And a lot of times it evens itself out. It sounds like this puppy possibly was almost starved or certainly had not had any, uh, I don't know what what you can say, any care. But one thing that might help if she's not doing, if they're not doing that, is to wet the food. And that that should help some, because if she's gobbling down dry food, uh, certainly that could cause some problems as that starts to swell in the stomach as it gets wet. Um, there are uh, bowls that are made to slow down eating, the voracious eater, where they have to kind of work to get the food. They have pigs or uh, different things in the bowl that... Uh, cause the dog to have to eat around those. But I think give us some time. Did we say how did you say how old this puppy was? Uh no, just that they'd had it for three weeks, but uh it's still still a puppy, yeah. Yeah, it sounds pretty young and usually these things do even out and they don't have such a ravenous appetite over time. Uh, my sister has one of those bowls for her dachshund that the, he has to kind of work his way through the, the, the rubber pegs to get to the food, and I think that helps. But I would imagine it's kind of makes playtime a little bit more fun and challenging for the dogs as well. You know, exactly. And there are some automatic feeders where you can uh, program the feeder. And I don't know how expensive they are, but you can actually program the feeder to put out just a small amount of food at a time and have it timed where you would have multiple feedings rather than leaving food out in a full bowl uh, for the dog to eat as it wants to. Got a caller on the line, but Debbie, if you could hold on for just a couple of minutes, we'll talk uh, with Mike for just a few minutes. So, Mike, thanks for being on the show with us again. Uh, Tell us a little bit uh, about your background and how you became the critter catcher. Well, that goes back about 30 years ago, but, uh, you know, we grew up in the the country, and and we had to to deal with wild animals all the time. So it was just something that we didn't get paid to do. <laughs> we were forced to do. Um, uh, as, as you know, as I got older, uh, we had friends and family that have would have wildlife issues that needed help with. And then I would go over and help them with the basic, you know, beaver in the pond or snake in the yard or, you know, maybe foxes messing around with the chickens and that kind of thing. Uh, and they just, you know, kept getting, you know, more and more calls and eventually decided that something that I wanted to get into and, uh, you know, opened up the, the Critter Catcher, and uh, that's been over 20 years ago. So what is a nuisance animal? For instance, could uh, my neighbor's dog be a nuisance animal? Sure, anything that causes problems. You know, usually they refer to wild animals, though. We're, we're talking about the 
the uh, the animals that that don't want to stay in the in the woods. They want to come to your house, and you know the the raccoons, the snakes, the squirrels, the bats, uh, things of that nature. I, you know, anytime anytime an animal comes into an area that that you don't want them to, that's considered a nuisance, of course. So, uh, MDWFP, Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, do they have like an official list? And if so, what's on that? Uh, you know, there there are several animals that we're we're not allowed to recate. If you're licensed, you have to be licensed to the Wildlife Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks uh, to do wildlife uh, with a separate special license. Um, uh, if we were we catch uh, hogs, for instance, coyotes, fox, skunks, nutria, beaver, those animals are not allowed to be relocated because, of course, if we did, it's just going to cause a problem somewhere else. So they put them on a list that that are that are non relocatable. So, but if uh, you were to catch something like a raccoon, a squirrel, skunk, bats, something of that nature, then those have to be relocated. And is that a list that is sometimes reviewed and updated? I haven't seen it reviewed or updated in quite some time. The list is pretty pretty standard. I mean, it can change at any time, of course, by their will, but uh, it's pr- pretty much been the same for a while. As promised, though, we do have a caller on the line, so let's say good morning to Debbie, who calls us from Brandon. Debbie, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Hey, thanks for taking my call. So about five years ago, we discovered this little turtle, box turtle, in our backyard, and we named her Yertle, and we saw her for a few days, and then she disappeared. We never saw her again. And that was a disappointment, but, you know, let it be, and hopefully she had a great life. Well, we literally saw her again about a month ago, and I know, well, I think I know, because her shell was exactly the same. She was about three times the size, and so we let her go, hoping she's having a good life, and she disappeared again. Well, then, lo and behold, another box turtle showed up in our backyard, and we have a fenced yard surrounded in a residential neighborhood, and we thought that was quite interesting, and then that turtle disappeared. Well, then, about two days later, we had a box turtle in the neighborhood, and all the neighbors were, you know, she was in the middle of the road, and nobody, nobody knew what to do with her um, because she was surrounded by manicured yards in the middle of a neighborhood street, likely going to get run over. So they said, put her in Debbie's backyard, which we did, and they also disappeared. So now we don't know where all the turtles are and where Yertilus lived for five years. So they could be under the shed, under the deck, they go through the fences. So what do we do when we find a turtle in our neighborhood? What is the best thing? And where do they disappear? Do they live under the house, under the shed? I mean, what happens to them? Thank you for thank you for that. Well, I mean, I, I, I they, they travel. They're known to travel. You know, they, they're in search of food. They're in search of, you know, breeding time. There's certain things that are going on. Um, I guess the first thing would be, you know, you don't want to mess with the animals. The, the, the wildlife fisheries are very stern about leaving wild animals alone. Let them do their thing. Even if they're in dangerous, dangerous habitat, you know, if you wanted to, I, I wouldn't even say move them out. into. I mean, if they're in the road and you want to get them out of the road, that's one thing. But, you know, you have to be very careful with that stuff because um, you don't, you know, you don't want to be seen as, as taking that animal out of its habitat or, or messing with it. So I would say first thing would be moving it to an, a safe area. But, but they could be, you know, anywhere. They could live just about anywhere. And um, one of the things to remember, box turtles live a long time. I mean, their life can be as long as ours, and they have a distinct habitat that they're, you know, this is where, I mean, you have a type of habitat that they like to be, but they also have their own territory within those habitats. So you want to be really careful messing them up. If you 
you know, take somebody, you know, Turtle's been there for 20 years, and then you move him to an entirely new place, that's somebody else's territory, chances are, another turtle, if it's good habitat. So you do want to be careful. But that said, I know that's a tremendous challenge to try to figure out where they might be when everybody's got a fence in their backyard, and these guys are kind of roaming around. But um, I agree with Mike, as much as possible, let them be on their own. And, you know, if you know their holes that they're using, and I would try to leave those open for them so in holes and fences and things so they know where they're going and let them go if it's obvious the area that they're going towards then it's much easier to help them get there so it's a you know if you see one in the road it might be um if if you can if there's not a lot of traffic kind of let them be for a little while and see where they're heading absolutely and, and then you can help them get that direction you don't want to send them back to where they if you take them back to where they left there's probably a good chance they're gonna get right back in the road absolutely so it, it is kind of chancy and um there's a lot of information online about box turtles and um, there have been some good long-range studies about how box turtles live that um, would probably be fun for you to share with people in your neighborhood. All right, uh, Debbie, thanks you for your call. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. We're going to go to Biloxi next. Craig has called in this morning. You're on the air with us, Craig. Go ahead, please. Yeah, I'm in Biloxi. I was wondering if the uh, nutria have ranged around here. And uh, I know I know people are eating, and now I saw a show I believe from from Louisiana where they're where they're cooking them up. Uh, and I, I also wonder about squirrels in the attic. What is the best way to get rid of squirrels in an attic? <laughs> All right, so there's two questions there. Uh, nutria are, are just about everywhere in the state. We deal with them constantly. Uh, they breed quickly. They're herbivores. They really don't hurt anything. Uh, they they are not you know something that we worry about being around you know uh, you know suburban areas. Uh, but the bad thing is that they they tunnel really bad. Um, uh, they are considered a nuisance animal. And and if you find them, you know if, if you don't get on them and stay on them, they're, they're going to uh, populate quickly. Uh, there's very little predators that that deal with these animals, and and they they we see a lot of damage from those animals. Um, Squirrels, you know, squirrels, the main thing with a squirrel is squirrels going to climb, squirrels going to go over. If you can prevent trees or uh, easy access to a roof line or to a house, that'll help you with the squirrels. Um, if your house is not sealed properly, and when I say sealed properly, what I mean is if there's areas around your roof line where hot air maybe or air can come out of those areas, um, the squirrels find it, I think, find it like a cave to them. They just want to see what's in there. And if they can get in there, they're going to try to chew and claw and get in there. So if you can keep them off the house, that's the first thing. That'll help you in a long ways. But until they, until you find a way to keep them off the house, or if it's even possible, we have a lot of people that have houses where they just there's no way to keep the squirrels off the houses. So they're going to get on those houses. They're going to be playing around, having a good time. Uh, they'll typically want to chew on some of the softer wood. They're, they're rodents. Their teeth don't stop growing. They're going to keep chewing every time so if they can find a way to get in they're going to get in so keep them off the house is the first thing try to watch limit access to things like uh, bird seed bird seed is is an attractant for everything and squirrels love it and if you've got a big bag or, or a big uh, bird feeder in the backyard that they can get to you're attracting to that location which is going to keep them there at your house and the longer that they're at your house they're going to try to find a way to get into that house possibly yeah can you live trap them in, in an attic with those live traps and uh, and I and I heard uh, you can put ammonia in a glass bowl in the attic. Does that work? Either? 
I wouldn't do that. Uh, uh, I stay away from chemicals. Uh, you know, that's you're basically, you know, if you're putting that in your house, you're going to be smelling it too, which creates another, you know, another type of danger for you. But the best thing uh, we don't squirrels are probably one of the hardest things to trap because I can make just about any animal go into a cage, but a squirrel is just something that does not like to be caged. So mm-hmm. we we have special ways of catching them. Uh, if you want to try a live trap, absolutely try it. You know, but make sure you relocate the animal far enough away that he doesn't come back. That'd be the first thing. But uh, you can try that way. We don't use those techniques. We use something different that we do. Uh, we probably try to, to seal the house up properly to keep them out of the houses. And if we have to get you know get them out of a house that they're already in, then we have methods to do that. But we use a certain type of trap, a special kind of trap to do that. Okay. Well, so just, just as a note, squirrels are good eating, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Craig, always good to hear from you. Thanks for the call. Now, Mike, you mentioned that if there were bird seed around, the, uh, bird f- seed around your yard, that it would attract the uh, squirrels. And I'm imagining food being available might be one of the things that attracts these critters more than anything else. Absolutely. I, I tell people all the time that have bird seeds. You want to see what's going, coming to that bird feeder, put a trail camera out there and watch it. Not just during the day, but during the nighttime. Because they, they're, especially in our, our metro area, we, we notice that the mice and the rats come into those bird feeders heavy every night. Well, if you have a house that's not sealed up properly or there's areas for things to get in, you're going to have a rodent problem quickly. And we're starting to see this now. The last several years, the rodent population within the metro area has gotten out of control with the mice and the rats, specifically the rats that we're finding now. But it's always because there's a, a food source close by, a, a dumpster that's open, or bird seed. Everything, people need to understand that bird seed attracts everything from rodents to raccoons to deer. Everything will eat bird seed. It's a high-protein food. As we move into the summertime, there's not a lot of food out there a lot of time for these animals. So spring is gone. They've eaten all the food. You know, now they're looking really hard to find things. And that's sometimes when they're getting to the subdivisions and starting your ornamentals. Um, your flowers, et cetera. But, but if they can find bird seed, they're there every night. And I know people in the city, uh, God bless them, that uh, literally they're putting 50 pounds of bird seed within a couple of days in a bird feeders, and it's gone. Yeah. If, um, if you're really bothered with that, um, I've seen, I know several people that have a big trash can with a tight-fitting lid, and they just take down those bird feeders Absolutely. and put them in there at night and hang them back out the next day. And a lot of people have to take in their hummingbird feeders, too, at night. Absolutely. Raccoons love but them. Something, but the easy thing to do is that trash can outside or one of those big square boxes with the tight-fitting lid, the storage box. Great idea. Just keep them overnight i've used i've used tarps in the past where you just put a tarp underneath the bird seed so that as the birds knock it out it goes onto the tarp that way i can take the tarp and the bird seed up and there's nothing on the ground that helps a lot with the rodents i love to see my songbirds i you know i love to see the, the animals come to these feeders but at nighttime i know the rodents are really attracted and then the raccoons etc so by picking up that tarp too same thing you know that i keep nothing on the ground and nothing there for them to eat not surprising, we've got a lot of phone calls, so let's start again. Uh, William's called in from Tennessee. William, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. Uh, I, I had two questions uh, regarding two different types of critters. Uh, so I'm not from the Mid-South, and so it's, I'm not quite sure how people deal with them down here. First, I'm helping my uh, in-laws out on their property, kind of out on, in the country, and they're having a problem with armadillo. And so when I cut the part of the yard, it's about four acres, you probably have six or seven uh, big holes, which I've been told are armadillos. And I'm trying to figure out how to get rid of them. I don't know if they do any damage, but, you know, the holes themselves uh, create a problem for me. Um, so just wanted your thoughts on that. 
Well, armadillos, uh, you know, they're not bad. They're not bad critters, really, but they do dig a lot. And they dig a lot of dens. They dig them frequently, probably every night. So they can have dens all over the place. Our, our, what I usually see is they'll stay in an area for about three to five days until they kind of eaten all the food source down a little bit, and then they'll move to another area. So they, they travel a lot. So what I usually do is um, I'll take something and put in those holes, uh, a couple sticks, or you know I don't fill them in, but I just put something in there where I can tell if something's gone in or out. Um, once I figure out that they're there, that they've come in that evening to possibly be in that den, we have special traps. You can buy them online, but we have traps where when they come out of the hole, they come straight into a cage trap. So that doesn't hurt them, and then we can relocate them to another area. Um, just be careful because, you know, you need to make sure you have permission to relocate those animals to a certain area. You can't just go take them out and dump them in somebody's yard. Uh, that'll cause you problems. But uh, make sure you have a, a safe place and a good place, a good habitat for them to go to. Um, but uh, it'll take some time. Like I said, they range quite a bit, so you just kind of always have to watch those holes every day for a certain period of time until you find when they come in there. Can you just shoot them? You know, it's you know, you have to look at your state regulation. You know, we don't hurt any animals. We want to catch them and relocate them, but uh, that's something that you'd have to check with the, the DNR up there in Tennessee. Okay, uh, and then the second question: uh, at my own house in the back, we have, uh, I believe, these are mole holes, and so I put out some uh, pellets uh, that I picked up at a local supply, and they didn't seem to do anything. They seem to be spreading. I don't know if there's anything. I, someone there once told me you could put red pepper flakes out there, and they don't like that. Uh, well, my two cents on that is, uh, in order to moles are a problem in a lot of places. But you know, the first thing you got to do is limit their food supply. Typically, what we do is use a granular insecticide in the areas and put it down pretty heavy. Something that is not going to hurt the animals or the birds. It's just something that's going to basically kill the earthworms and the grubs in the ground, and that'll cause them to move on. It'll get worse at first because if they're in that area heavy, they're going to start looking harder and harder to find food, and you could basically you know remove the food source. So they're going to tear the yard up even worse until they move out of those areas. That's one way to start it. The other way would be to use some sort of trap in the mole holes, the tunnels, to catch the, the moles. Um, they're very territorial, so once you get that group out of there, you know, you know, give it two or three weeks maybe and maybe four weeks, and then you're going to have more moles move back in to the area to take over that property. So it's not something that you're going to just do one time and be finished with. Usually you're, you're going to fight this for a while. You remember the no, I was just going to say, you remember the movie Caddyshack. <laughs> <laughs> Be really careful with the dynamite. Yeah. Yeah. Do they have natural predators like cats or dogs? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing really eats them. They they smell horrible, and I've noticed that the dogs and the cats they love to dig them up, and and they may bite them and kill them, but they don't typically ever eat them. I don't think anything really eats a mole. I'm not seeing anything. Wouldn't be odd that something would eat them, but uh, uh, there's not much to a mole other than a bunch of hair and a few feet. There's not very there's not a lot of sustenance there for an animal, so they typically don't eat them. Okay. Hey, appreciate your advice. Thanks for the call, William. Let's stay on the phone lines. Off to Mobile, we go next. Uh, Blyce is on the line with us. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hi. My name is Blyce, and I was wondering, we have a bunch of hawks that seem to fly through our neighborhood and hang out, and um, I think that that was probably the reason our cat disappeared last November, and I was wondering if there was anything that could be done, because eventually we're going to get a doggy door with a fence for our two labs, and I'm just concerned that, you know, they might attack them. 
Well, uh, hawks are a problem. You know, they're, they're, they're a wonderful creature, and they're so cool. But uh, uh, when they've got a nest full of babies, they will find whatever they can to, to feed those babies. And we've had situations around the state where, where they've caught small dogs and cats. Um, uh, really, there's not really much you can do about that. They're a federally protected bird. You know, you just got to watch where you put your dogs, keep, keep them close to you. Um, you know, mm-hmm. don't, I mean, it's, I hate to even, I mean, it's, it's just not really not a lot you can do. Um, even to get anything from, from U.S. Fish and Wildlife, try to get a permit to maybe to evade them um, using noisemakers or something. That's probably would be something that you could might try or just walk out in the backyard, clap your hands, move around a lot to get them to work to try to leave. But, you know, they're a wild animal. And if they if they, if they lock on something, that's one thing bad about a hawk or an eagle. Once they lock on to something, they're not leaving it. <laughs> they stay on it. But now what you're t- sound like your dogs were big. Do you have labs? They are, but my cat, you know, he he was, you know, nine pounds. I was back in Statesboro moving our stuff back to Mobile, moving our stuff to Mobile. My husband let him out, and he, he always came back at night, you know, but he didn't come back Veterans Day weekend, and that or a coyote. But it's, it, there are a lot of trees where we live, but I live in a suburban area. I mean, yeah, other cats are fun. usually the biggest problem with cats at night or other cats yeah we see sometimes this time of the year the the fox and the coyotes feeding young will catch one of their favorite things is finding cats i hate to say that but that's we see that a lot so i doubt the eagles or the the hawks are causing an issue with the cat it's probably like libby said it's probably either another a big tom moved in and kicked them out or either maybe another predator found them yeah he was he's he was neutered so i mean you know but he was he was a very friendly cat but i just you know, I'd like to get another one, but eventually, I just, you know, I'm concerned that something like that will happen, you know, with the hawks and everything or whatever. But I appreciate the information. All righty. Thanks for your phone call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Visiting today with Mike McDowell, the critter catcher. Busy day on the phone line, so let's stay on it. Next off to Aberdeen we go. Catherine has called in today. Good morning. It's your turn. Go ahead. Hello. Um a two-acre pond, and it seems as though muskrats have moved in and are destroying the bank, and they're also killing and eating all my duck eggs. Is there anything I can do about that? How do you... Well, I guess my first question would be, how do you know that they're muskrats? Why do you think they're muskrats? Could it be something else? Well, I mean, they, they look like muskrats. They, I mean, it looks like a beaver, except they have the black fluffy tail rather than a flat tail. Mm, it could be. I mean, I would think it would be probably be nutria. Could it be? Could it be otters? Could do you think it could be? You know, are you seeing it? Does it look like a rodent? Could it be an otter? No, they're about the size of a, a raccoon. Yeah, I mean, uh, is would you? Well, like I said, I, you'd, I'd have to see a picture. Otters definitely could be in there catching things and eating eggs. I mean, that's something. I mean, are you near a creek or a river or anything like that? Um, there is a little tiny creek, um, but it's uh, a ways from me. And I do have overflow from my pond into a larger lake. Mm, yeah, I don't. I'd, I I would. My first guess wouldn't be muskrat. Um, really? No, but do you, do you, have you seen them quite frequently, or are you just? Yes, in the mornings and in the evenings. They, like I said, they're they're roughly the size of a uh, like a, a good sized raccoon, and they're brown and they have a fluffy black tail. Fluffy black. Fluffy. Tail. No, that's that's uh, something like fluffy, like furry. It's not like I said. They look a lot like the beaver, except their tail is 
um, furry, not. Muskrats you know, like are very small. Stuff. Muskrats are small, so that wouldn't be a muskrat. Um, oh, yeah. A, look up a nutria. Yeah. If it's, but they don't have that. Yeah, I, no, I feel free. Be a fluffy tail. No, yeah. no, it'd be a rat tail. I mean, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Otter. Um, but uh, you know, maybe a young otter. Uh, but yeah, if you can get a picture to us, absolutely, you know, it's something that we can ID. I mean, we'll be glad to figure out what it is and kind of what we can do to help you to get rid of them. Yeah, okay, I definitely do that. Thank you for your help. Sure. And and remember, it's uh, animals at mpbonline.org. If you can get a picture and, uh, uh, you know, send it to us, we'll make sure that uh, Libby can get it to Mike, and we'll see if we can't uh, help you out with uh, whatever the creature is that's, uh, <laughs> that's bothering you there. I'm going to stay on the phone lines. Next, it's Rose in Jackson. Good morning, Rose. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. I have a female raccoon that appears to be a mama coming in my house. I've been waging war with. I really need some help. I don't think I should trap her if she's got babies out somewhere. But um, she takes my bread and my cat food, and she gets in through the coated, the chip reader cat doors. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, uh, we need to stop that pretty quick because that could cause she could get into some other things other than just that. Um, it is we are exactly. catching we are catching females right now with anywhere from you know eight week to probably three month old uh, raccoons right now. So uh, uh, yeah, I would say if you can not catch her right now until she gets those babies up where they can move, unless you know where they are. Um, but first of all, make sure that they're not in your house. <laughs> if she's that close to your house getting food every night, she's probably not far from you. Um, she could you know, be under a shed or up in a tree somewhere also. But uh, um, the chances are you need to keep them from coming in that house. We get several cases a year where raccoons have gotten into houses and, and caused a lot of destruction. Uh, they like to tear up a lot of things in their search for food. Sometimes they're just in there playing around having a good time. But we always have several of those a year. So if you can keep her out of that that, that uh dog door or the cat door then that would that'd be a benefit do you relocate families with raccoons when they're old enough are you able to catch the whole family oh yes ma'am you know we'll uh, if we can catch them off they're still young we'll try to relocate the the raccoon and the female if the female sometimes we get into cases where all there the female's already been removed and so we're we're dealing with the babies and we uh, have rehabilitators that we take the the young to to get them up and to be released later nice okay Let's head right back to the phone lines as it's been a busy day. We'd like to hear calls coming in from all across Mississippi. Next, we've got uh, Jay, who's called in from Jackson. Good morning, Jay. You're on the air. It's your turn. Yes, I have a couple of creatures I've seen recently in the past uh, six days, I guess, or less. Uh, last night, it just, uh, walking up my driveway was looked like a possum, but I'm not sure if I know it had the long, skinny tail, and about three days before that, I had a creature that was walking up my driveway. They're furry, and I thought maybe it was a raccoon, but I couldn't see the face. It looked like the tail had those rings on it, but not real distinct. But anyway, I have no food source. I have no animals, but I need. I live alone, and I need to know what... Is there anything I can do to stop them from coming in in my driveway? Walk. I don't know where they're going. I do have a, a crawl space. You know, I don't. I have a traditional house. I, I try to keep that covered. You know, where animals won't get under there. But what can I do? 
Well, I mean, I think it sounds like you're doing everything you're supposed to. Uh, make sure that all there's there's no openings, uh, you know, under the house or on top of the house for the animals to get in. Keep the food at bay. I think you're doing everything you're supposed to do. They they're just in the community. They're they're everywhere. Animals are they live everywhere. You know, all you can do is your part to keep them away from your house. You know, and it sounds like you're doing that. So I congratulate you on doing that. But there's not really anything you can stop. You can't stop them from walking down your driveway or crossing your yard. It's just they're in that area and they're going. You're just in in the way of where they're going. So there's not really anything you can do to evade them. Okay. So just uh, watch them go as far as I can on my cameras. And uh, Okay. I was hoping I, it was something I could put down that maybe they would walk through the neighbor's yard. Uh, not <laughs> <laughs> That's what everybody wants. Yeah. There are some products out there that yeah. say they do that, and, and but to, honestly, they, they smell so horrible, or they, they, they just don't have the reaction that you're going to want. You know, you're doing everything right. You know, be happy that, hey, you've got everything set up properly, and they're moving away from your property. That's that's about the best feeling you'll be able to get. Oh, okay. Thank you. Sure. All right. Thanks for your call. And, you know, Mike, I, th- I guess that's kind of a problem is she's d- d- or he's doing everything right, but if your neighbor's not, then you're kind of – it's one step forward, two steps back kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, we see that quite a bit where, where you just – the animals live there, and, and they're going to move through those areas. Um, and if your your neighbor is feeding those animals, which is, you know, it's against the rules. Wildlife fisheries, you know, it's a, there's a rule that says you're not allowed to feed a wild animal. You know, and if people are doing that – it's not helping the animal, number one. Number two, it's keeping them in that community where you are, and that causes them to get into the houses. So we want to try to you know, try to stop that. But there's not really anything you can do to keep them from wandering around. You know, sometimes I wonder about people that would want to feed a wild animal. But I know I saw something online the other day that Yellowstone is apparently having some real bad issues this season with tourists. And there was a picture of a guy face-to-face, inches away from a bison, trying to take a picture. And it's just kind of like... I I'm not sure, but I mean I don't. That wouldn't be me. That's for sure. Maybe just put it that way. So I've seen that happen many. times. I've been to Yellowstone and I watched tourists go up to elk and buffalo. <laughs> I've seen some people get knocked down by those animals. Typically, you know, a lot of times it's foreigners, people that that they just they're so they're in awe of the animal and they just got they want to go out there and touch it and they just they and they get what they deserve. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Next, we're off to Memphis. Lee has called in today. Good morning, Lee. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yes, good morning. I'm calling about chipmunks in the yard. Um, my wife and I are uh, real gardeners, and when we moved into this particular house three years ago, there were already chipmunks there just burrowing everywhere. They're cute as all get out. Um, we didn't realize that they could do as much uh, digging and harm they seem to be doing, you know, in and around the yard. Is there any way to get rid of them without, you know, exterminating them completely? Yeah, they're cute critters, but I'm going to tell you, they, they're very destructive. They burrow constantly, and they'll burrow under a house. Um, they'll, they love under sidewalks, under driveways. We deal with these things all the time. I personally have them in my yard, and I deal with them constantly also. But uh, they're cute, but they're, they're so destructive that, that uh, you have to do something or else they're going to tunnel up under stuff. So, no, I mean, you can try to use cage traps. You you They're very smart little critters. And if you catch one in a cage, if you're lucky enough to get one in a cage trap and the other ones see it, you won't catch another one. 
you know they they have a very they're very social animals and they live in large groups and then they don't stop so bottom line typically is we we use traps to to catch them and, and remove them we we don't we don't uh it's it's hard to to put them out anywhere else they're a source of food for just about everything so we use a, a certain type of trap that's going to put them down um, uh, keeping them, keeping food at bay if you can, but it's hard to do that. If you're like my house, I have so many oak trees that they, they have everything they want in my neighborhood. Every type of food they could possibly ever need is, is in my area. So we can never get rid of them. We just deal, have to deal with them as they come in. Yeah. Well, they literally, um, we're pretty sure they literally undermined and, and killed a, uh, you know, mature redbud tree. Sure. It was just a colony underneath them, yeah. you know, when the thing finally died, pulled it up, like, oh, look at all these chipmunks, you know, burrows. So, yeah. All right. So, yeah, the, the, the short answer is if you really want to get rid of them, they've got to be got to be exterminated yeah it's kind of, kind of treat them like a like a rat or a mouse i mean that's that we have to i mean one yeah. or two one or two i wouldn't care about but when it's they they're going to have they're going to breed twice a year and they're going to you know, she's going to have four every time so two is going to turn into to, you know 10 within a year if not sooner and then you just keep they keep multiplying and if you don't have a source out there something to prey on them a snake or a hawk you know a cat or something whatever they're just going to get prolific really quick yeah, and plugging up the holes is just a temporary. I mean, they'll just burrow somewhere else. They're actually so, they're actually so smart that where their primary den hole is, every day when they go back in that hole, they they block it with dirt so you never find it. They're that slick. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's an ongoing process. Well, you've, you've you've helped educate me, so thank you very much. Sure. <laughs> All right, Lee. Thanks for the call. One final call to get to for this batch. It's a uh, Glenn calling in from Brandon. Glenn, it's your turn. Go ahead. Uh, yes, I was calling about the woman that called in about the hawks, and uh, I was wondering why doesn't somebody do something about the quantity of hawks because they've gotten out of control. I, I live in the middle of hardwoods, and I used to have plenty of squirrels, squirrels everywhere. They wiped them out, so they're pretty much taking away all your small game. I'm sure they're getting the rabbits and everything, and why are they still protected when there's so many of them. Uh, you know, they're supposed to be for rodent control. I spend plenty of money on getting mouse poison and all to keep the mouse, and I hear these other people talking about the chipmunks and all, and so I don't see that they're that great for rodent control. They're very good for wiping out your, your beneficial game, so why don't they do something and take, that, take them off the list? Well, the numbers are actually falling every year, Habit. You know, maybe you live in excellent habitat, but population numbers of hawks are decreasing worldwide, and most people are wanting more hawks and owls because they've got rodent problems. Yeah, I think think you're in the minority there, yeah. Well, you know, I've heard of other people's animals. I've even seen the footage of these red-tailed hawks taking people's cats and stuff, so... And as a matter of fact, the uh, gentleman there that was speaking about once a hawk marks something, they get him, and he's right. I've witnessed it. I mean, once they get a pick one out, I mean, they'll stick with it. Like I said, I've seen it firsthand, and it's bad. So, And I can't help but believe it's just here where it's happening. No, I think it's you know hawks have been an issue like that for years. But but like Libby said, you know the, what we see in in the animal kingdom is certain animals rise for a certain number of years and then they start falling. So it's usually you know they you know 
they say it's around three years. You'll have predators will be high for three years, and then they'll eat all of the the game, and then they'll start their numbers will start dropping, and then the non game the non predatory animals will rise. We see that a lot. So, like Libby said, you're probably just an area that has you know, a lot of game, and they're just there, and there's a lot there. But the chances are they're probably gonna they're gonna fall. You know, every so many years they're gonna fall. But there's not there's not really anything. You know, I've heard this this argument many times, and, and people have even gone back to the wildlife fisheries and say, hey, can we do something about this? But that's a federal thing. They're a federal bird, and, and you can't do anything to mess with those things or, you know, at this moment. All right, Glenn, uh, thanks for the call. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by listeners. If you want to hear today's show or previous show, you can go to creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone. Our show was produced by Java Chapman, who was also our call screener today. Abram Nanny was the engineer. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest, Mike McDowell, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned up next. It's AutoCorrect. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone 